You are listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. In the book of Acts, we get to see how God used simple people who had nothing more than the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel to transform lives and turn the world upside down. And think about that. How much do we need that in our society today, in this generation that we live in, in this day and age? We need a revolution, don't we? We, we need to see lives transformed. We need to see the world turned upside down by the Spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we live in a society, right, which is so often backwards in the ways that it thinks, in the ways that it acts, right? In our popular culture, the things that it condemns and the things which it affirms are often backwards, right? They're upside down. Many times evil is called good and good is called evil. It's backwards and it's upside down. And so we desperately need for lives to be changed. We need for the world to be turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ because when you turn an upside down world on its head, then things finally get set right. And that's what the book of Acts shows us is that God invites people just like you and me to be part of his revolution that he is carrying out in this generation as well. So the title of today's message is Helping the Hurting. Would you please read with me Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. The other day I was out driving with my family, and we pulled up at uh, like a highway, you know, we got off the freeway and we were on an overpass and there on the overpass was a man standing right next to our window who's holding a cardboard sign asking for money. And of course my kids, you know, they, they picked up on that and they, they started asking all kinds of questions. Maybe, maybe you've been in similar situations with your kids. You know, what is that man doing? You know, why is he holding a sign? Why is he asking for money? Why, why does he need money? Now, we've all probably seen that before. It's, an, it's a common sight. We see people on street corners. We see people on uh, freeway exits holding cardboard signs asking for money or asking for help of some kind. We've all seen homeless people around town. And we, we've all, I imagine, felt that tension inside of us. There's this inherent tension, right, that your heart goes out to them. You wonder, what is their story? How did they end up in this place on the street like this? Your heart goes out to them because you want to help. You see that they're hurting and you want to help. And at the same time, there's also, again, a tension because you want to help them, but sometimes maybe you even feel frustrated seeing them there. You, you wonder, you know, why don't you go work? I work for money. Why don't you? You know, why, why don't you get a job? Haven't you seen the help wanted signs? Should I really give you my hard-earned money? And, and how do I even know that if I give a person this money that it will actually help them? How do I know it won't just fuel an addiction or, or carry on some kind of destructive cycle in their life? And so this question is, is a hard one. How should we respond to hurting people around us? How do we really help people in the best way? What would God have us do as followers of Jesus Christ? And we're going to see here in our text today in Acts chapter 3 that these are not questions that are only unique to our day and age. These are questions that even the earliest Christians had to uh, deal with and face. 
And our text today sheds some light for us on how we ought to respond as followers of Jesus to hurting people around us. In 1980, uh, vandals desecrated a statue of Jesus at Christ the King Catholic Church in San Diego, California. And what the vandals did, they, they, this statue was standing outside the church and they knocked it down and they spray painted it. And in the process of it being knocked down, the hands were broken off of the statue. And so when the church saw what had been done, they set about trying to repair the statue. First they, you know, cleaned off the graffiti and they got it looking good again. And then they began discussing if they should find a sculptor to replace the hands that had been broken off. But the church decided to do something different instead. Instead of replacing the hands on it, what they did is they re-erected the statue just as it was, and they placed an inscription on a plaque, which they put below the pedestal on which the statue still stands to this day in San Diego. And here's what the plaque says. It says, He has no hands on earth but ours, for we are his body. And that's true. If Jesus is going to reach out and touch a hurting person, it will be through our hands. He will use us. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Acts over and over, that as Jesus left this earth physically, he called his disciples to be his body, through whom he could continue and carry on that mission of bringing healing and redemption and salvation to the world. And it's true for you and me as well. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be part of his body. And what that means in part is to, it means that we are to be his hands through which he touches hurting people. It means that we are to be his feet through which he goes out into the world. It means that we are to be his mouthpiece through which the, wor- the world hears the message of the gospel. So how are we to respond as the body of Christ to hurting people? Well, here in Acts chapter 3, we have this instance where Peter and John, they come in contact with a hurting person in their city. And as we look at this, we're going to see three important principles that can help to guide us also in our interactions with people. And here's what those three are. I'll give them to you ahead of time, then we'll look at each of them individually. The three things that we're going to see. Number one, we're going to see compassionate hearts. The second thing we're going to see is discerning minds. And the third thing we're going to see is words of life. So compassionate hearts, discerning minds, and words of life. Let's begin with looking at compassionate hearts. Now we left off our study of the book of 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 Acts last week. And there what we were looking at at the end of chapter 2 of Acts was this incredible community which came about amongst the early Christians. This community that characterized the early Christian church. These were people whose lives had been changed by Jesus. And it very much affected the way that they lived and the way that they interacted with each other. They were hungry for fellowship and community. They were hungry for teaching. They wanted to break bread together. They wanted to seek the Lord in prayer together. And we read there in chapter 2 from last week, chapter 2 verse 43, it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Now, when you read that, you know, the immediate thought that comes to your mind is, well, okay, signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Well, like what kind of signs and wonders? Like give me an example of what what that looked like. Well, that's what we have here in chapter 3. An example of one of the miracles that took place through the apostles. 
Now, as you'll remember, our story with Peter and John going, began, right, with Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, that's interesting for several reasons. I'll give you just a few. Some people would say, you know, what are Peter and John doing still going to the temple? I mean, isn't that a Jewish thing? Aren't they? They're Christians now, right? They should be going to their own church thing. Well, it's important to understand that for the early Christians, they didn't view believing in Jesus as changing their religion. They didn't view it as joining some new religion. They considered Jesus to be the fulfillment of all the promises that God had made throughout history to the Jewish people. And so we read even last week in chapter 2 that in the early days of Christianity in Jerusalem, we read in verse 46, day by day the believers attended the temple together and they broke bread in each other's homes. And that's a wonderful model for fellowship, isn't it? Basically they went to church together, they they were in corporate worship together and they invited each other into each other's homes and they eat, ate dinner together and shared meals together. That's the kind of community that we also try to emulate here at Whitefields, by the way. And we see that Peter and John were men of prayer. They were on their way to a prayer meeting. Now, some have suggested that perhaps the reason these early Christians went to the temple every day was to evangelize to share the good news about Jesus Christ with the people who were gathering at the temple to pray and to make sacrifices. Could be. It's significant, though, that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer and not at an hour of sacrifice. That's very important because the early Christians did not just continue all of the same Jewish practices that they had done before. And it's one thing they understood very clearly was that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. They understood that Jesus and his death on the cross and all that that accomplished was what all of the sacrifices had always been pointing to and speaking of and foreshadowing. And therefore there was no more need anymore for any more sacrifices to be made. No more need for blood to be shed to atone for the sins of men. There was no more sacrifice to be made in order that man might be in fellowship with God. Jesus had declared on the cross, it is finished. Everything that was needed to be done in order for you to be forgiven of your sins in order for you to know God and be in a relationship with him. It was finished on the cross of Calvary in that ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so when the early Christians went to the temple, that's important. They wouldn't go at the hour of sacrifice. They went at the hour of prayer. And their intention with going there, probably we can assume it was twofold, both to seek God and also to have the opportunity to share with other people of the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Messiah had come, that the promises of God had been fulfilled. And so there they are, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer and at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate because it was so ornate, there was a disabled man and he was sitting there on the ground begging for money. Now what a contrast that would have been, this beautiful, ornate gate, and in front of it a broken man, a disabled man who was carried there, we read there, that he was carried there every single day to sit and beg. That was the extent of his life. He just sits at this gate in the hot sun and asks people passing by for money. That was what his life consisted of. He couldn't work and he had simply, it seems, resigned himself to accepting that this is all his life was and it's all it would ever be, that he would just be a person who spent his days watching life and other people pass him by. And seeing Peter and John walk by, he did whatever, what he did every time he saw somebody walk by. He stuck out his hand or maybe a cup or a hat and he asked them for money. 
Now, what do you do when you encounter similar situations? When you're driving by and at the stop sign, there's the guy asking for money at your window. You know, what many people do is look straight ahead and don't make eye contact, right? But look at what Peter and John did. It's interesting in verse 4. It says, Peter looked directly at him. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So rather than avert his eyes from this man, rather than simply hurrying past him, we see that Peter fixed his gaze upon him. He looked him right in the eye. And this is the first principle I'd like to point out here in regard to helping the hurting, is compassionate hearts. You know, callousness is the condition in which you're no longer sensitive to things which you used to be sensitive to. Like when I used to play the guitar a lot, I built up calluses on my fingers. When I first started playing the guitar, uh, it was painful, especially if I played for long periods of time. But if you keep doing it, you know, just like many things, you build up calluses. And what used to be sensitive, what used to cause you pain, you don't even feel it anymore. And there's a sense in which that very same thing happens to us in regard to other things like suffering or in regard to things like violence. Or a lot of people have talked about how in our society people have become desensitized to violence because of all the media that we take in. Now the same thing is true of suffering. When you see a lot of suffering people, after a while you just kind of get used to it, right? And you become calloused in a way. And I have to assume that that must have been the case in much of the ancient world because they did not have the medical advancements that we have today. They didn't have the social programs to take care of the suffering and the sick that we do today. So as you walk down the street in the ancient world, it would have been very common to see disabled people, disfigured people everywhere, especially at the entrances to places of worship like the temple. If you've ever traveled to third world countries or developing countries, you've seen this firsthand. It's still, still something that you see all the time on the steps of churches or mosques or, or temples at the gates of tourist sites. There are handicapped people crowding the place begging for money. And it can be really easy to just get used to it, to just get used to seeing those hurting people where it doesn't even phase you anymore. It's just part of the, the scenery of everyday life. It can get to the point where you don't even notice them, right? They, they become kind of invisible. You don't notice them anymore. You just go about your business without paying much attention at all. And maybe you even, on, a, on another note, maybe you have people in your life and it seems that there's always some kind of crisis in their life, right? It's all just a lot of drama and trauma every time you turn around. And, and you can get to the point where you get so used to it, right? You get used to, oh, okay, this week you're having another big crisis that you don't even pay attention anymore. You don't even take notice. You, you've got stuff to do and you don't have time to stop and deal with that other person's issues all the time. But here's what I want you to see in this story. Peter and John had somewhere to be. They were on their way somewhere, right? They had a schedule to keep. Furthermore, there, there must have been many beggars on that street, many lame beggars. And so if these guys also, if they went to the temple every day for prayer, this guy was there every day in front of this gate of the temple. And they would have seen him several times before. But yet, on this day, they allowed themselves to be interrupted, and they allowed themselves to have compassionate hearts. Rather than avert their eyes, rather than just hurry by, paying no attention to this man, they stopped in their tracks, they looked him in the eye, and, and they showed compassion to this hurting person. Now may I suggest to you that that is what God has done for you. 
Do you realize that that is the message of the gospel? That is what God has done for you. Do you think about this? There are now 8 billion people in the world. We we just recently passed the 8 billion mark uh, for population of the earth. And each and every one of those 8 billion people is broken or hurting in some way or another. And yet think about this, that God has stopped in his tracks and looked you in the eye. He has responded to you and your brokenness. Has he averted his eyes? No way. Has has he allowed the sheer number of broken people and things that he has to get done to leave him calloused so that he no longer is even phased by you and your issues? No way. God has stopped in his tracks and looked you right in the eye. He has fixed his gaze upon you. He has stopped in his tracks to deal with you and to care about what's going on with you. Jesus told us that not even a single hair falls from your head without the Father taking notice and caring about it. In all this big world with all these people and all these issues and all these problems, the God of the universe would take time to deal with you personally and individually. And this same Peter, he he would later write in a letter to all Christians, he would write this in 1 Peter chapter 5, he would say, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. It's that same heart of compassion that God has shown to us, that he calls us to show to others. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What Paul's saying there is this. If you have experienced the love of God, the compassion of God, then respond to that love by living it out in the ways that you treat other people. And so in your dealings with other people, seek to have compassionate hearts, remembering that when it came to you, even though there are 8 billion people in this world, God stopped in his tracks and fixed his gaze upon you. He took the time to care about you and show you compassion. So not only do we see in Peter and John an example of having a compassionate heart, but we also see discerning minds. Read with me, please, from verse 5. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, in the Jewish culture, there's a very strong tradition, even to this present day, of giving alms to the poor. Giving of alms to the poor is and and was considered one of the most important acts of righteousness that a person can possibly do. And so it would have been very easy for Peter and John to just toss this guy a 20 and feel that they had done their good deed for the day and that they had helped this guy out a lot. And they could have just patted themselves on the back for doing a good deed and and gone on their way. And you know what? It's quite likely that there were times in which they did exactly that, where they gave money to beggars and went on their way. But on this day, Peter and John discerned something. They discerned something they hadn't discerned before. You see, in asking for money, what was this man asking for? He was asking to be supported in his present condition. But Peter and John, they discerned something. 
they discerned that what this man really needed was the real help, the truest help they could give him was not to support him in his current condition, but to help him have his life transformed by Jesus Christ. And so this man uh, asks Peter and John for money and, and probably holds out his hand or, or holds out something to put money into. And Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. Now, how many times do you think that man had heard that line before, right? Like, sorry, buddy, I don't have any money. Oh, I would give you something, but guess what? I'm fresh out. Sorry, maybe tomorrow. I mean, can you imagine what thoughts were going through this man's mind as he hears these initial words? I don't have any money for you. He's probably thinking, Oh, fine, man. I guess uh, I see how it is. You don't care about me. You don't see the, the mess that I'm in. You don't want to support me. You don't want to help me. I'm just asking for a little help. Why don't you care? And here, here's the other thing uh, I want you to think about. Peter said, silver and gold, I have none. Now, wait a second. Is that really true? Is it really true that Peter didn't have any money at all? Now, now look with me again, if you would, at Acts chapter 2, because there we read at the end of, of Acts chapter 2, that these early Christians, it says that there were at least 3,000 of them, and these 3,000 Christians kind of pooled their money into one kind of big pot, and they sold their possessions, and they shared everything. So, I mean, 3,000 people, if all of them only have $1, that's $3,000. I mean, probably they got a little bit more than that. So, I mean, you're looking at thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars in our money that Peter and John did have access to. So, how could it be that Peter and John say, silver and gold, I don't have for you? Those early Christians had lots of silver and gold that they collectively shared between each other. But what we see here with Peter and John, again, is this principle of having discerning minds. This man was asking for money, and Peter and John did have access to a lot of money. But they discerned that, first of all, money, that money wasn't there for this purpose. That was the first thing. And more importantly, they discerned that money wasn't what this man really needed. Even though this man was asking for a handout, what he really needed was something much more profound. What he really needed was to receive a new life by the power of the risen Jesus. And many times you and I too, we meet people who want to be supported in their present situation. They'll say, help me out. I have a problem. I have an issue. I have a need. And all, if you really care about me, then you'll help me out in this situation. If you really care about me, you'll give me what I'm asking for. But what they're asking for isn't a long-term solution. It's just a kind of a temporary fix. And so it's important that along with compassionate hearts, we also have discerning minds so that we're able to discern how to best help a person truly. And many times that's true that when there's a situation which to really help a person is not to give them what they're asking for, but to offer them something much bigger, something much more profound, not just a temporary fix, but a new life. In Jesus Christ. One person put it this way. I love this quote. It said this, it is not the church's business in the world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. That's what Peter did. He grabbed this man's hand and he helped him up. And as he took uh, Peter's hand, this man, he was pulled up to his feet and he was healed. Now, I think there's something else interesting here that I consider when I read this. And that's this, that if this man had been sitting in this spot for years and years, every day, we read in chapter 4, that he was 40 years old. So he's been sitting here for a long time. 
then we can be sure that this was not the first time that Peter and John would have passed by him. Even more interestingly, we can be almost sure that Jesus himself would have passed by this man on several occasions on his visits to Jerusalem as well. And yet even though this man was lame, he was handicapped, Jesus passed by him, the apostles passed by him, and he was never healed. And that's interesting because we read many times about how Jesus healed people. But there were also times when it's inferred that Jesus didn't heal sick people. For example, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, we read about a time when Jesus went to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And this was a pool in Jerusalem, which was kind of a natural spring. And from time to time, water would come into this pool and it would stir the waters. And the common belief was that if a person could get into the waters while the, the spring was stirring them up, that they would be healed of whatever physical ailment they had. And so as you can imagine, this is a very popular place for people who had physical disabilities. But the irony of it, right, is that people with physical disabilities don't usually move very quickly. And so they had a hard time getting into the water while the water was moving. And many of them needed someone to help them get into the water. So there in John chapter 5, we read this story of how Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And there's all these sick, handicapped people laying around, wanting to, waiting for the waters to get started stirred up so they can jump in. And, and so what does Jesus do? Well, you might expect that if you're Jesus and you come and there's like a couple hundred handicapped people laying around, what would you do? You'd say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm here. Hey, guess what? You're all healed. Boom. You're welcome, right? But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus goes, we read in John chapter 5, he goes to a man at the very back, like where, where the guy really has no chance of getting into the water and the guy's all by himself and he's handicapped. Like he cannot, he has no chance of getting into the water on his own. And so Jesus, he goes up to this man and he asks him a question. He says, do you want to be healed? Now, first of all, what kind of question is that for a person who's handicapped at a pool where supposedly people get healed from being disabled and handicapped, right? But of course, Jesus is wanting to dialogue with him and, and Jesus heals this man. And in that, we just have this wonderful picture of the gospel. I mean, how, how many of you have heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves, right? And you probably heard it from somebody who said, don't you know that somewhere in the Bible, it says, God helps those who help themselves. Well, well I'm, guess what? First of all, that's not in the Bible. And guess what else? That's not the gospel. Do you know that? It's so far from the gospel. The message of the gospel is not that God helps those who help themselves. It's that God saves those who can't save themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. God saves people who can't save themselves, like this man at the back of the line who has no way and no one to help him to get into the waters and be healed. And you can never even be in a relationship with God truly until you recognize that you are just like that lame man who can't help himself. You see that you've got a problem and you know where you need to get to. You can see where you need to get to, but you don't have the means to get there. It's that person who says, I need help. I need a savior. It's that person who Jesus, Jesus comes to that person and says, do you want to be healed? God helps those who can't help themselves. And that's me, and that's you, and that's the message of the gospel. But not only is that story a wonderful picture of the gospel, but it shows us something else. It shows us this, that Jesus didn't heal all of the sick and handicapped people that he saw. And there were a lot of people at that pool of Bethesda that day, but Jesus only healed one of them. And Jesus must have walked by this crippled man, for example, at the gate called Beautiful several times, but yet he never healed him. 
Now, why? Why, why wouldn't Jesus heal everybody? Well, well, we don't know exactly why, but I'm going to give you three possible reasons for you to consider. Uh, the first reason would be this, that Jesus didn't minister only according to needs and opportunities. Jesus ministered according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to the Father. I mean, you know, think about this. There were a lot of really good things that Jesus could have spent his time doing on any given day. There were enough lepers and cripples and sick people in Israel in that time that Jesus could have worked 60 hours a week for three years just healing people nonstop. But he didn't do that. Because he wasn't there only to minister according to needs and opportunities, but according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Father. And that's an important distinction because, because there are an infinite number of needs in this world. There are an infinite number of good things that you could be doing at any given moment. But rather than just doing good things, it's important that we seek the Father, that we be led by the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us to lead us in his will, to know what is the best thing that we're to be doing at any given moment in any particular situation. We see Jesus making these kind of decisions all the time, don't we? A crowd is coming to see Jesus, and people say, hey, look, Jesus, a crowd, awesome. You can heal the sick, you can do miracles, you can teach these people. And what does Jesus do? He gets on a boat and crosses over the lake and goes and spends time with his disciples. Well, why would you do that? There was this awesome opportunity there. Well, you see, Jesus wasn't only responding to needs and opportunities. He was acting according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the obedience to the Father. So that at the end of his three years of ministry in his high priestly prayer, one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed, he was able to say, I have accomplished all that you sent me to do. And the great message of the book of Acts is that God has now given us the same Holy Spirit who led and empowered Jesus during his ministry. God has given us the same Holy Spirit to lead us in his will that we too might not only do just good things, but that we might discern what God would have us do in any particular moment or situation. And that's what Peter and John did here. They had walked by this man many times before, but on this day they discerned by the Spirit that God wanted to do something special, something miraculous, that God wanted to use them to heal this man. The second thing I would say as to why Jesus didn't heal everybody was this. It wasn't the main thing that Jesus came to do. Now, healing the sick was part of the things that Jesus came to do because, see, with Jesus, he was coming to establish the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, there, there's no more sickness. There's no more death. Even death is abolished in his kingdom. And so Jesus, whenever he came, wherever he went, he gave a preview of coming attractions, a preview of the kingdom, which is to come one day in fullness. But the reason Jesus came ultimately was to create salvation for us that's eternal, in which forever there will be no more sickness or infirmity or death forever. So because the, the third reason here that I would give you for why Jesus didn't heal everybody is this, because God's timing is just as important as God's will. So why didn't Jesus heal this man before? Why didn't the apostles heal this man before? Because God's timing is just as important as God's will. And I think that in my life and in your life, that's an important concept to keep in mind, that God's timing is just as important as God's will. Okay, so let's look at the third thing that we see here. Uh, the third thing that we see modeled by Peter and John as they deal with this hurting person, and that is the words of life. Please read with me from verse 13 to 16. The God of Abraham 
I'll actually read from verse 11. While he, that's the the man who was just healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And to his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So as this crowd gathers around, intrigued at this sight that this man has now been healed, Peter uses this opportunity to share with these people about Jesus. You see, as Peter looked around, he, he discerned something that day. And that's this. He sees this crowd of people and he realizes that the crippled man wasn't the only hurting person there in Jerusalem that day. As this crowd gathered around, Peter looked at these people and he realized that he's surrounded by hurting people. This lame man, his brokenness was visible. But these other people, they were also broken. They were also hurting. Only their brokenness wasn't visible to the naked eye. Their brokenness was inward. And that's the fact that Peter discerned that we need to understand too, that all people are broken. And when it comes to hurting people, it's not just those who have some kind of physical infirmity who are hurting. When it comes to helping the hurting, ultimately all people need to hear the words of life, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter takes advantage of this opportunity with this gathered crowd to share with them the good news about Jesus. Because this miraculous thing happened, right? But all it did, what did it accomplish? All it accomplished was arousing people's interest and attention. But what Peter knew was that faith in God, salvation, it doesn't come through seeing or hearing about miraculous events. We read in the in book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Peter tells these people, look, it wasn't us who healed this man. It's not us. We didn't do anything special. We didn't heal this man. It was Jesus who healed this man. Yes, Jesus, the same one who you crucified, the one you killed. It was through faith in Jesus that this man has been made well. And he says this interesting phrase in verse 15. It's intriguing, right? He says, you killed the author of life. How do you kill the author of life, the very one who created you and gave his life for you? He came to you and you rejected him. You killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't realize what you were doing. For the Jewish people, they made an important distinction in the Old Testament law between sins of ignorance and sins of presumption, right? They they, uh, differentiated between sins which were committed not realizing that what you were doing was wrong and sins that you did maliciously and intentionally. And Peter says, look, I know you guys didn't realize what you were doing, but that doesn't remove your guilt either. You guys didn't realize what you were doing, but by rejecting Jesus, by crucifying him, you were fulfilling what God had promised in the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah would suffer and die for the sins of the people. Read from verse 19, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know, he says, repent. Many people think that repent is really a kind of a negative word, right? But for Peter, understand this. Repent is a message of hope. Repentance means hope. With repentance comes this promise, this great hope. To repent means to start a new life. To repent means to change directions. To repent means to change your mind. It means to change the things that you're pursuing after in your life. To repent and turn to Jesus comes with this promise that if you will do that, if you will change directions, if you will turn from wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, and follow Jesus, then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and you will receive Jesus, the one whom God appointed for you. This is the message of hope. This is the greatest message of hope the world has ever known. These are the very words of life. That if you will change the direction of your life, if you will change your mind and your thinking, if you will give your heart and your mind and your life over to God, then times of refreshing will come to you and God will give you the Savior whom he appointed for you, Jesus. Now let me ask you, hurting people, I believe in a way that's all of us, hurting people, isn't that what you long for in your heart of hearts? Times of refreshing from the presence of God. How do you get that? How do you get to experience those times of refreshing both now and forever? Here's how. By changing directions. By changing your mind about Jesus. Peter's saying to these people, you guys once looked at Jesus as someone who needed to be put to death. I want you now to change your mind about him and understand that he is the prince of life. He says, you once nailed him to a cross, but now I'm asking you to change and bow your knee. Maybe you're a person who once said, you know, Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Change your mind and now, now say, no, Christianity isn't a crutch. Christianity is much more than a crutch. It's, it's a wheelchair. It's a hospital bed. It's a whole hospital. It's a surgical team. It's everything that you need because you've been hit. You've been run over by the train of life. And you need a savior. You need a healer. And Jesus is the one whom God has appointed for you. So that whatever you might have thought in the past, it's time to change your mind. Whatever path you've been on, even coming in here today, now it's time to change directions and follow Jesus. And if you do that, times of refreshing will come to you, both now and forever, through Jesus. We're going to stop right here today. We're going to pick up next week. We're going to see the end of this message that Peter gave about Jesus. And then we're going to see the fallout from this message. But for now, I'd like to leave you with this. When it comes to helping hurting people, which really is all people when you get right down to it, let's keep these few things in mind. Let us be those who have compassionate hearts, just as God has had a compassionate heart towards us. Let us be those who have discerning minds that we might truly help people in the ways that they need to be helped. And may we never neglect to share with people the words of life. Amen? Would you please stand with me and pray? Lord, we thank you that you are the author and giver of life. And Lord, we accept and we recognize our culpability in your crucifixion. Lord, that our sins nailed you to the cross. But Lord, thank you that you loved us so much that you went to the cross with joy because you knew that through the cross, Lord, you would bring us back into relationship with you. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would help us in all the ways that we need to, Lord. Would you 
Help us to change our minds about Jesus and change our minds about the way we're thinking about things. Lord, in all the ways that we need to, would you help us to change our course, change the direction that we're going in and follow hard after you. And thank you, Lord, that times of refreshing will come to us from the presence of God and you will give us the one appointed for us, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that and for this wonderful gospel in Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com.